I, George Walker Bush, do solemnly swear. Earnhardt had to be cut from his wreck and taken directly to nearby Halifax Hospital, where he was pronounced dead due to massive injuries to his head and chest. Music fans are mourning Joey Ramone, one of the pioneers of punk rock music. The lead singer of the Ramones lost his battle against lymphoma yesterday. This is the Decibel Geek Podcast with Aaron Camaro and Chris Sinzak. What's up? And welcome to the Hella Tight Dope Decibel Geek Podcast. My name is Aaron Camaro, and we will be joined shortly by our good friend Chris Sinzak. Yeah, as you've seen on the notes today, we are back in time once again. A little year review action for you. I know you guys love it so much, and we're going back not too far, but back to 2001. That's what makes it hella tight dope, right? Big words of 2001. Hey, we had a lot of good response to last week's show. Eh, you know, I thought it was going to be hit and miss. Some people loved it, some people not so much, but we decided we were going to branch out a little bit into the world of rap rock and you know, one thing I realized by doing that is, you know, after all these years, and, and Kiss should have been in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame a long time ago, but it made me realize why finally, after all these years, they got in. Because when you got artists in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame like Run DMC and Donna Summers, it only makes sense to have the band that wrote not only the greatest hip-hop song of all time, but also the greatest disco song of all time. Oh yeah, I was made for loving you. So Kiss has got to be in there. It's only fair. So I want to thank everybody that shared it with us last week. You know, if you're out there on Twitter or you're on Facebook or wherever you are, if you're out there sharing it, man, we appreciate it so much because like we always say, you guys are our marketing department and it's this is a grassroots kind of a thing. So I want to go ahead and do Geeks of the Week before Chris gets here and we'll get going with the show. I had a couple of stragglers from the uh, Toby Wright episodes a couple weeks ago. So I want to thank Gary Daggett and Stella Smith for sharing them. But for last week, the Rap Rock episode actually had quite a few shares. I'm a little surprised. Maybe we could do a part two. You guys are on the Facebook page giving us ideas for part two. So if we do it, it's your fault. So let me go ahead and run down the list real quick here for you. We got uh, Big Al, Alan Tate shared it. Uh, the Mooger Fooger, Daniel Chaput. I think that's how you say it. I'm not the pronunciator of the show. Chris, Chris ain't here yet. Um, podcasts are the best with Andrew Jacobs. That's awesome. Check that out. Um, always sharing it. Hoops. Uh, Nick Rose, Raw Magazine, Loudmouth, Hot Metal Magazine, Faces Rocks Magazine, Music is My Religion. A lot of cool pages sharing it. And a lot of awesome people like Brad Cano. Cano? Cannot? Like I said, I'm not the guy. Uh, Chad Pollard, Brian Knapp, Mike Stewart, Warren Money, my man, Robin Bennett, Joe Lascon. We got Ian Wadley from the Rock and Metal Podcast. Paul Korn's on the list here. Uh, Mark Alden Taylor, Brent Walters, Justin Hayes, Derek Novak, Jeff Ho Hogland, uh, Dave Shirt. I know that guy. Baco, David Alpazar, Colin Francis, Pete LaRussa, Mike Blount, Todd Cunningham, and Matt Ashcraft. You guys are our Geeks of the Week. I see a lot of names in there that are reoccurring Geeks of the Week, and we love you guys so much. 2001 seems like yesterday to a lot of us, especially right. us middle-aged guys. But, you know, when you think about it, this is 14 years ago as yeah. of this recording, so that's a long time ago. 
Um, so 2001, um, some of the cost of things. The average cost of a new house was $136,000. Uh, the cost of a gallon of gas was $1.46. And the cost of a pound of bacon was $3.22. Yeah, that's uh, talking about like the years that we've done in the past in comparison I think to that. That's more than it is now. Is I, it? it may be. There was a lot of bacon inflation back in 2000. Yeah, and gas isn't, wasn't really that much different. Mm-mm. I mean, up and down, a lot in between, but. Well, it was a lot different after uh, something that happens later on in the year. Right, yeah, everything changes. So this is, this is you know, of course, we do these year in reviews and it's all through the eyes of rock and roll, you know, and that's our perspective on it. We're just going to have some fun and we're doing 2001. I know a lot of people are going to probably say the same thing that they said about the other more recent year in reviews. Yeah, you know, like, yeah, we did 2000. It was like, did anything good come out in right. 2001? Yes. Well, of course. Of course there did. You know, was it top of the charts? Uh, some of it maybe, some of it not. Most of it not, Most you know. Not. not not our kind of stuff, you well, know. Well, uh, yeah, what we're doing is like we're consider us your filter. Like right. you were bombarded yes. with the with the crap on radio <laughs> and if you really wanted to, to get in, you have to dig to find the good stuff. Right. We're we're your uh, audio shovel. There you go. I like that. I'm using like Paul Stanley analogies. That's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> The Decibel Geek Podcast is like a pack of wolves. It's a lifestyle. You know, yeah, right. Blah, blah, blah. Well, I guess we'll start off the year with the first big story. You know, the internet's starting to get more accessible by everybody by 2001, and that brings the invention called Wikipedia. Yes, our research team. Our research team here at the Decibel <laughs> Geek pie. Podcast. We, you know, couldn't do it without Wikipedia. Of course not. And you know, for a, the price of a cup of coffee, you can help keep Wikipedia free. And you should, because everybody uses it. Yeah, but I mean, I'm supporting this little kid in, in Africa for the price of a cup of coffee per day, and and he helps me with research. That kid knows a lot about docking. I don't know why a little kid in an African tribe knows a lot about docking, but he does. Well, I mean, as long as you're contributing to our uh, research team in I'm, one way I'm or another, really resisting the urge to make a breaking the chains joke. <laughs> oh, All right, okay, no, no. <laughs> moving you have on. To edit that out. Nah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. All right, so we go on to January 20th, and George W. <laughs> Bush is sworn into the office of the presidency of the United States of America. I remember this. Worst president ever? Uh, I don't know. This uh, isn't we're a, not getting into this that. Is, this isn't a You're political show. You're getting on to me show, for what I so, say. You know, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, this isn't a political show, so I guess we'll just get right to the rock and roll. So here's my first pick from 2001. This one came out on January 23rd. It's their uh, fourth independent studio album, and it's their final before getting signed by Atlantic. I'm talking about the Donnas. Now, this marks the beginning of a change in style from punk rock to straight-ahead guitar rock. Thank God. Uh, you know, less Ramones, more ACDC, because their first, their early stuff was very, you know, Donna's, Ramones, you know, they're very, very yeah. similar. But now they're starting to find more of their own style. You know, this album's got some good hit, uh, good tracks on it. Little tunes like Do You Want to Hit It, Play My Game, Are You Going to Move It From Me, and Don't Get Me Busted. Yeah. 
also includes a really cool cover of Judas Priest's Living After Midnight. And it's a great album. Donna's Turn 21. Come out in 2001. That's where we're starting out today for rock and roll. Sad that band's not around anymore. Yeah, they were a lot of fun. I, I enjoyed them. Uh, first time I heard them, as a lot of Kiss fans did, it was a cover of Strutter that they yeah. did. On the, uh, was that on the Tribute album? No, the Detroit Rock City soundtrack. Detroit Rock City soundtrack, yeah. It's a good band. I mean, yeah, I wish they could get back together again. Um, okay, so my first choice, um, and this is a band that Rich the Meister Dillon, our head writer, has tried for a long time to get me into. He loves this band, and... I think they're good, and they've been around a long while. I'm talking about Primal Fear, and they're a German power metal band formed in 97 by Rolf Sheepers, who was the vocalist of Gamma Ray, and Matt Sinner, who was uh, bass and vocals for the band Sinner. They formed the band after Sheepers was not hired as Rob Halford's replacement in Judas Priest. So I guess these are all names that ring a bell from our Germany Rocks episode. Yeah, I know. I know at least Matt Sinner is. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, well, you know, we Gamma Ray also right. I think, came up on that. And um, so, yeah, I guess this guy was up for the, the job in Priest before Ripper got the job. Hmm, interesting. Uh, and you're going to hear, you'll hear the, the Rob Halford-esque vocals here in uh, this track here from, a, from an album called Nuclear Fire that came out on January 29th. During the tour for this album, the band played in the U.S. for the first time, and they were a guest at festivals like the Milwaukee, the Milwaukee Metal Fest and the Metal Meltdown Festival. Nice. And they've released 10 studio albums, including last year's Delivering the Black. Now, I've tried listening to this band and tried getting into them. I, they just don't fully click for me. I do love that song, and yeah. I think that I'd probably like a handful of songs. But just because it kind of sounds like a mix between like you know European power metal and kind of thrash metal too, yeah, like melded together. Yeah, there's a little bit of that new wave of British heavy metal. Yeah, sound, but a little, I hear a little overkill in there. Yeah, I mean there, there's good stuff, and they're a talented group of guys. It's just some of the songs just don't click for me all the way. But that's uh, Primal Fear. Hmm. You know what else is not clicking in 2001? What's that? The relationship between the members of the Eagles. <laughs> that, did, that didn't click in any year. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But it definitely came to a head in 2001 when on February 6th, longtime guitar player Don Felder is fired from the band. Yeah, and if you read his uh, autobiography, boy, it's, it's quite a story. And there's some footage of YouTube of the night when the shit hit the fan with those guys. You know, oh, where, back in like 80 or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Was, it, was, that, was that the yeah. footage from the 80s when they were fighting on stage? Yeah. Man. Basically what it was is uh, Don Felder never got along with Glenn Fry and, and Don Henley real well because 
Fry and Henley were, at the time, towards the end of the 70s, early 80s, they were getting very politically active. Right. And Don Felder just wanted to play his guitar. He just wanted he to rock and roll. He didn't care about any of this cause stuff that those guys were into. So they, they dragged the whole band to this fundraiser thing for some politician. Yeah. And they're standing behind him while he's making his speech, and the guy turns around and thanks all the members of the Eagles for coming, and he's shaking each one of them's hand, and Joe Walsh and everybody are being polite and going, you're welcome, no problem. And when he gets to Don Felder, he goes, you're welcome, I guess. Uh, and it pissed off Don, Glenn, uh, Glenn Fry got really angry. So then the whole night, then they had to play a show that night. That's funny. And the guy that was their engineer or whatever, their sound man, recorded everything, you know, did a soundboard recording. Right. And he, you could pick up the argument on the, the board tapes between the songs. And like, they're you, saying, I'm going to kick your oh, ass. Oh, yeah, you hear Glenn Fry over. threatening him. He's like, yeah. I'm going to kick your ass after this. I can't wait. And he's like, yeah, I can't wait either. You treat your employees real good, Glenn. Wow. Yeah, it was a, it was really ugly. And uh, yeah, the, read Don Felder's book. It's a great book. So Don Felder was like the ace fraley of the Eagles. Huh? Well, nah, Joe Walsh was the ace friendly oh, of the yeah. Eagles. <laughs> but but, uh, but now Don was Don was more about, you know, you got to pay me my fair share and, you know, yeah. we, we shouldn't be doing all these stupid fundraisers and stuff like that. Yeah, he helped write the song Hotel California. It's his riff. Yeah. Yeah, he came up with it. But yeah, interesting, interesting story. Another um, interesting story in February 2001, FBI agent Robert Hansen is charged with spying for Russia for 15 years. This is uh, it's an incredible story. There's a movie called Breach that uh, does a good job documenting what happened. Um, but yeah, this guy was like way up in the FBI, and you know one of our top agents, and he's supplying the Russians with information. They got lots of people murdered for 15 years. Yeah, wow. He was taking lots of money to give this information on, and people were getting killed left and right because of what he was doing. That sucks. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty crazy story. Good but, thing yeah. they finally busted him. Yeah, they did. He's still in prison right now. All right, all right. Back to the rock and roll. Uh, if you guys have been listening to the Decibel Geek podcast for a little while now, you guys definitely know about the band Hair of the Dog. You know, we've been uh, talking. We were good friends with the Big Rock Show. You know, and Ryan Cook is the lead singer of the Big Rock Show, and also the lead singer of Hair of the Dog. Now, in two thousand one, their third album comes out, and it's the follow up to the previous year's Michael Wagner produced rock. Now, before the recording of Ignite could begin, and that's the name of the album, Ignite, um, lead guitarist John Sapitis developed a condition in his hand that hindered his ability to play, forces him to bow out of the band. Man, his absence really shows on this album. If not in the playing, then I'd say definitely in the mood of it. It kind of it it fails to deliver the same punch the previous two albums, but you know it's it's a there's a few different things contributing to that. Maybe it's the fact that Spitfire wouldn't pony up the cash to get Michael Wagner back to, to uh, produce this one, you know, because the previous one sounded so great. Or maybe it's because the band and the label are pretty much butting heads over the sound, the direction, the support, and, yeah, even the paying of the band at this point. But, you know, despite all of that, this is still a pretty damn good rock album by a highly underrated band.
Yeah, this album's packed with some great songs, but you know, the thick, lush, bombastic sound that you get with uh, Michael Wagner producing just really isn't there on this one. Instead, at the insistence of Spitfire, you get a more modern, like, 2001 rock radio kind of Creed, Three Doors Down, Stained kind of production. Exactly. You know, it just doesn't work for this kind of band. Yeah, it's very modern rock sounding. Yeah, you know, I, I definitely prefer Michael Wagner producing this band because he knew that these guys were a straight-up rock band, and he produced them in that way, yeah. which few do it better in that style than Michael Wagner, well, you, you know? Well, can, you can hear that it was a it has an old-school sound to the the songwriting. So right. It would have been nice to have a like a big, thick guitar tone to that. Right. That almost has almost an industrial feel to it. Kind of. That yeah. song does. You know, and that's that track that we uh, sampled there uh, features Boot on lead vocals along with Ryan Cook, so Boot. that's that's pretty unique, too. It's a, it's a good... You know, the songs are great. The album's really good. Doesn't kind of match up to the other two, but still definitely worthwhile checking out, and sadly, this would be the last Hair of the Dog album. Yeah, and if you're in Nashville and big rock shows playing, don't miss it. Yeah, but don't get out there and scream, play some Hair of the Dog. No, that's not fair to the other guys. <laughs> and then don't, and do then don't look at Paul and scream, I want to hear Winger, either. Right, so, yeah. yeah. All right, so we move into March, and uh, Super group. there was a, um, well, it's kind of a, I guess for Kiss, Kiss fans, this was a big story, wasn't it? Yeah, a real big story. At March 9th, Eric Singer wears the Catman makeup for the first time on stage in Yokohama, Japan. Yeah. And if, if you don't... It would be the first time a member ever wore the makeup of somebody, a right. different member of the band. Yeah, that's true. And if you don't know what happened, uh, I guess Peter Chris was trying to renegotiate his contract while the tour was going on, and... Uh, they couldn't come to terms, and Paul and Gene said, well, we'll just go do Japan and Australia without you, and we'll get Eric Singer back. Yeah. Didn't that happen once before, and one of the tech, the drum techs had to sit in for him with well, the Well, that, that's on? one of those who-do-you-believe situations. Yeah. I mean, when it happened, the official story was at the time was um, Peter's uh, tendonitis had flared up so bad in his arms that he couldn't play. Yeah. And they took they gave him the night off. Um, but, it was like, it was a last-minute decision, and they are like, well, everyone's in the arena. We can't really cancel now. Right. Um. This was a this in but, 2001 was a little different but, than that. You know, in years past, Gene and Paul, I think, have claimed that no, that wasn't the case, and Peter was like trying to put his foot down about more money. Uh, I don't know. All I can say is that show was in Columbus, Georgia, in '97, and I saw them the very next night in Nashville. Yeah, and Peter played amazing, and he killed it. Yeah, so I don't know how much his arms were hurting or not, but he was great mm. when I saw. I was just thankful that I got to see the original band the next night because I was on the internet the day before going, "Oh my god." You know, I'm paid all this money to see the reu- reunited Kiss, right. and I'm going to get stuck watching a, a drum tech play. Man, that would suck. But no, I was. Yeah, he played the next night, and they were great. Yeah, well, yeah. I'm sure they were great in uh, 2001 when they're playing with Eric Singer too. You know, oh, there's obviously. some great footage on YouTube of that. You know, yeah. and so, and it's funny too because you'd think that that's when the backlash would truly begin, but. You know, Eric Singer kind of gets a pass in this whole thing well, a little bit, being I, that he's a longtime member of the band. Some people freaked out, but when Tommy started wearing the makeup, all of a sudden yeah. all the hatred went Tommy's way. Right. So, but yeah, it was a it was a big news story. I, re- I remember kind of being shocked when I saw the pictures of Eric in the makeup. I was like, "That's a little weird." Yeah. But um, all right, so we're not a Kiss show. Let's move on. All right, so I have the next. Not pick. this week. Oh uh, yeah, not this week. We have been a lot lately, haven't we? Yeah. All right, so for my next pick, we're in March. On March 5th, Aerosmith releases Just Push Play, one of the favorite albums of all the diehard fans. Not me. I don't know. Most people called it Just Push Eject. Yeah. Um, it was their 13th studio album. It did chart well initially because of the single Jaded, which did well. And honestly, I'll admit, I like the song Jaded. I think it's a great song. I mean, it's a well-written song. It's a good top you know, 40 hit 
you know, if I'm in 1976 or whatever, yeah. listening to Get Your Wings, I'm, and then somebody played that, I'd be like, "What the fuck?" But, yeah, exactly. But Jaded as a song and as a songwriting thing is a well-executed song. Sure, I'll give him that. Yeah, okay. It uh, the album did go platinum, but then they released four subsequent singles that didn't do much at all at radio. So you know, this was kind of Aerosmith. The uh, the bloom was finally off the rose a bit with this album, you know, because yeah. they were hit machines all before this. Is this the one who was the pink album cover yes. with the robot chick on there? Yeah, which was a rip off of an autograph album cover from the eighties. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so you know, I I wanted to play something off this album though, but most of the the regular version of the album I don't really like, honestly. <laughs> um, but there's this song that comes from the Japanese version of the album that I think is pretty cool. That song is called Won't Let You Down, and uh, I think, you know, th- that may be the grittiest thing on the album. It's it's a very pop-sensible album, you know, but uh, I think I mean, that one kind of sticks out. If that's the heaviest thing on it the is, album. <laughs> from what I can remember, yeah. I, you know, not that I went back and really dug deep listening to this right. one again. But um, a couple of quotes about this. Um, in 2010, Joe Perry revealed his distaste for the album, and he said, I don't think we've made a decent album in years. Just Push Play is my least favorite. Oh, my goodness. When we recorded it, there was never a point where all five members were in the room at the same time, and Aerosmith's major strength is playing together. Right. It was a learning experience for me. It showed me how not to make an Aerosmith album. So that was a, no you know, kidding. That's a harsh thing to say. Um, I do I also read somewhere that, but Joe, that Joey Kramer actually likes how the album turned out himself but you know i you know different strokes for different folks so you listen to that and be like joe perry did you even play on this album i don't hear hardly any guitar on we it have a, well we have a, another <laughs> way down in the mix we have another episode we're going to be recording at some point soon where we'll get into joe perry not being on an album all right but uh yeah so that's aerosmith from 2001 all right my next one it's kind of funny because it goes hand in hand with that this is another album where uh the leads well i'm talking i'm going to talk about clutch right now they came out with the album pure rock Fury in 2001, and this is actually Neil Fallon's least favorite Clutch album. Really? Kind of like that old Just Push Play. Um, this is their fifth studio album. Of course, these guys from Maryland, they're rock and rollers. We've talked about Clutch a bunch of times here on the show. Great band. Um, I like this album. I think there's some great songs on it. It's got the uh, the rap rock song, Careful With That Mic, which is it's pretty cool if you're into that sort of thing. It's, it's really cool. Um, the title tracks kick ass. Immortal's a great song. Smoke Banshee, uh, Drink to the Dead.
Love good heavy Black Sabbath style doom metal. You can't go any. You you just need no go no further than Clutch. They'll never be. No one will ever say that they don't have an original sound. I no, mean, definitely. Yeah. You hear a Clutch song, you know it's Clutch. Very unique sound. Yes. Pure Rock Fury 2001 goes to 135 on the U.S. Billboard Top 20. Not huge, but not bad. You know, for Clutch, that's not bad. Um, the album features special appearances by Wino from Doom Metal Pioneers Saint Vitus and uh, Leslie West from Mountain does some work with him nice. on this album. You know, Mississippi Queen. Mountain. Amazing guitar yeah. player. Very cool. Definitely check that one out. All right, so uh, up to you. We're still in March. We're at the end of March now. On March 27th, Buck Cherry released the album Time Bomb. Now I know that that Buck Cherry is kind of a divisive band for some people. Some rock fans love them. Some rock fans hate them. I personally love them. I think they're all right. I've always liked them, and um, I just I love their their raw sound that they have. And yeah, maybe they use the f word too much, and and that does get tiresome after a while because it's like, okay, guys, we know you like to say fuck. Again, this know. is one of them bands where you know I think I'm kind of in the middle with them, where it's like we talked about that last Hair of the Dog album, where I like the songs. And I like the style, yeah. but the production doesn't seem right. You know, if Michael yeah. Wagner got a hold of Buck Cherry and put out an album, it would probably blow minds. Well, the best way to experience Buck Cherry is live in a club. Yeah. And I, the local state rock station here, The Buzz, did a show a few years ago, and it was uh, Buck Cherry, Blackstone Cherry, and Saliva in a club. Yeah. And the other bands were good. Cherry Cherry and yeah, Spit. I, right. And uh, Buck Cherry came on, man. They were fucking great. And like I, and I liked them before this, but I really liked them after seeing them live. Yeah. So maybe right you're, maybe that is the thing. Maybe it's the production that's the issue for some people. Because you see them live, and they're they're a great rock and roll band. Right. So uh, they put out their second studio album in 2001. Uh, it was the last one with their original lineup. The big hit, the hit single off this one was "Riding." That one got a lot of airplay. Yeah. Uh, this one's kind of my favorite off it. This is Buck Cherry with "Whiskey in the Morning." on it. 
You can keep all your music on it. You can even burn CDs on it. You can keep thousands of digital photos on it. You can even organize your organizer on it. You can keep your life on it. The new iBook. Would you like that to go? You're watching The West Wing on NBC. NBC Thursday. I'm going to kiss you like you've never been kissed before. Woody's back for two weeks, and he's taking his romance with Grace to a whole new level. <laughs> then it's the Just Shoot Me season finale. A wedding, Jack's ex-wife, and a surprise ending. Oh, my God! Need we say more? NBC Thursday. Primetime Sunday on NBC. It's the new Saturday Night Live Mother's Day special. The SNL stars and their moms. Primetime Sunday on NBC. All right, you're listening to the Decibel Geek Podcast. We're back for more year in review of 2001. Having fun so far. Yeah, and bringing back memories. I mean, I... Uh during 2001 is when I started to clean up my act a little bit, so yeah. I, I have a little bit of memory of this year. Right on. Yeah. I think 2001, boy, yeah, right around a year after Ace was born, I was still working in radio, and yeah, I was I was all right. I this, had a good head on my shoulders for a little while yet. This was the year I moved from Nashville to Kansas City. Right on. Yeah. Well, going back to uh, the year in review, we always got to do our sports. We got to look back at sports in 2001. And 2001 is the year of Vince McMahon's XFL. The year. The year. Because <laughs> it was only one year. It was uh, meant to be an off-season alternative to the NFL. It only made it the one season. And, uh, you know, they tried to take football and make it kind of more wrestling-y. I think it was scripted. Know? You think it was? Well, yeah. Some that, people think the NFL scripted. Well, I think I think the XFL was definitely scripted. Like I watched the first game; it was the LA team and the New York team, I think. Yeah. And it went like three overtimes, and how these dramatic things happening yeah. back and forth. I was like, I think I'm having my leg pulled here. That wouldn't surprise me in the least. It Vince was fun until that hit me. I was like, this yeah. is awesome, and then it hit me. I'm like, I bet this is fake. Yeah. You can't forget he hate me. He hate me, yeah. He hate me, the biggest <laughs> name to come out of the XFL. Yeah, he got to the NFL. Uh, talk about football, let's talk about real football. Super Bowl thirty five. the Baltimore Ravens 34-7 over the New York Giants. Super Bowl MVP Ray Lewis, and he was killing them that year. He was killing them other years. He was... <laughs> In baseball, only four seasons into their existence, the Arizona Diamondbacks defeat the New York Yankees. Yeah, anyone, That's pretty wild. Anyone that beats the Yankees is okay in my book. In the NBA, it's the Lakers over the Sixers, but the big news in the NBA that year is Michael Jordan returning after three and a half years to play for the Wizards. The Bullets. The Bullets? Yeah. Were they the Bullets back then? Yeah, or? they'll always be the Washington Bullets oh, to okay. me. Oh, okay. I got you. Yeah, I know. I'm not, I will never call them the Wizards. No? I don't get into that politically correct bullshit. Oh, yeah. That's, and I don't call the Redskins the Washington Football Club. They're the Redskins. <laughs> You know, big news in the year of uh, sports and NASCAR, the champions, Jeff Gordon, it's his fourth championship. But again, uh, the real big news in NASCAR, of course, is Dale Earnhardt dying at the Daytona 500. That was so sad. You know, that was the first NASCAR race I ever really sat down and watched. Oh, you know, that so, made, so it's your fault. That made, No, that made <laughs> me think that, that NASCAR was, was staged, too, and that I, I didn't think Dale Earnhardt was really dead, that it was just a big ploy to oh, get geez. people to tune in at first. Yeah, saying, at first, you know. If and, that's uh, true, then he's pulling one hell of an Andy Kaufman thing right yeah, now. <laughs> but, you know, if you think about it like that, and no disrespect to Dale Earnhardt, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm just kind of yeah. speculating, you know, what if, you know, if that were the case, 
that brought a lot of attention to NASCAR. Oh, totally. Because that was a big race. It was on. I remember sitting and watching it. You know, my dad was watching it. There was other people watching it. So it was a big race. If it was going to happen and bring some excitement and say, hey, this is a dangerous, exciting sport, you know, that people could lose their lives doing this. Yeah. That was the night to do it. It was crazy. I, yeah, I remember watching... Um Somebody in my family was watching it that day, and I just walked into the room because they were like, "Oh wow, did you see that wreck?" And then, yeah. and then we. Sat but it wasn't. And it. it wasn't much of a wreck. It didn't no, look but, like. But much, the way they were but... talking about it on TV, they were like, "That's a serious accident." Because yeah. I guess Daryl Waltrip was in the booth, and he was mentioning how he was like, "It does," and he even said, "It doesn't look like much to the to the general public, right?" But as a driver, that's a bad accident. You so. know, and the and he wasn't known for being a guy that took safety precautions. No. You know, he was. Uh, no. <laughs> he was called the Intimidator. That's right. He was he was badass, you know. Was, Probably the yeah. most badass race car driver he was ever. As close as NASCAR got to a rock star. Heck yeah. Um also in two thousand one, Evander Holyfield loses the World Boxing Championship and really, you know, two thousand one is kind of the end of boxing. I mean, Evander Holyfield's the only boxer I can remember, like name by name mm-hmm. since then. Can you name a boxer since Oh, that's a big deal with the whole Pacquiao Mayweather thing coming up here. Yeah, but I'm talking about like big boxing, you know. But yeah, it, it but now that was huge. when it was heavyweight boxing. Now it's right. like middleweight now. Yeah, I'm talking about heavyweight yeah, it's, boxing. It's weird that heavyweight boxing is not the biggest now. It's, no. It's like middleweight stuff. But yeah. And oh yeah, that was when that, heavyweight. You know, big even deal. that boxing is just not as big as no. it was, you know. And I think what happened MMA. was 2001 was the year that Dana White took over running UFC. So by the end of 2001, things are really starting to take yeah. off, and they've got stars like Tito Ortiz and Randy Couture and Chuck Liddell. Yeah. So as UFC's on the rise, the boxing's going down. Yeah, it's huge now. It's, it's, I remember at the time going to UFC. What a joke. And now it's bigger than boxing. See, I remember it even before 2001, oh, getting yeah. it on VHS, and it was just kind of like cage fighting and just being blown away by yeah. you know, it's the, pretty brutal. the brutality of it, which is, it's exciting, but you know, yeah. at the same time, Nowadays, it's like it's so oversaturated that, you know, how many times can you see two dudes fight? It's yeah. usually about the same thing, you know? Yeah. You can't follow nobody because every time they have a match, you don't see them again for three months. All right. I'll stick with pro wrestling. Thank you. <laughs> um, in 2001, the first guy to ever simultaneously hold all the major golf championships. Oh, yeah. It was the year of Tiger Woods. Yeah. Boy, things have changed since then. Yeah. A lot of things have changed since then. Um, you know, that guy was everywhere he was you know the michael jordan of golf totally totally and he was at his peak in 2001 in the stanley cup it's the colorado avalanche as the champions um and you know funny thing too talking about like uh, T- uh tiger woods and how much things have changed in 2001 it's funny because although andre agassi would give up smoking the meth and would have a major comeback the male athlete of the year is the also respectable and honorable barry bonds no oh, yeah. That's crazy. Andre Agassi man. was a meth head? Yeah. I didn't remember that. Yeah, he was because he was big before this, and then yeah. he was gone. I didn't know he was smoking meth. Yeah, he was a big meth head. Wow. And then he, he put it all away and made a major comeback. Hmm. But if you're talking sports in 2001, obviously the biggest news story of the year in sports is the fact that after a successful knee surgery, Hulk Hogan returns to the ring in Orlando, Florida for Jimmy Hart's XWF promotion where he defeats Mr. Perfect, Kurt Henning, and sets course for him to return to the WWE for the first time in nearly a decade. And within a year's time, Hulk Hogan would be main eventing WrestleMania once again. Oh, yeah. I thought you were reading off sports stories. I am. That's the number one sports story of the year. Sports entertainment. 
Okay, so a sad story from April. We moved to April 15th, and Joey Ramone passes away, which is a huge loss to the world of rock. Yeah, big time. Only 49 years old, too. Just too damn young. He had, I think it was non-Hodgkin's lymphoma is what he passed away from. But, uh, yeah, it was really really shitty because, you know, he had put a solo album out around this time. It was called Don't Worry About Me. That's really, really great. Yeah. I would have loved to have heard more solo stuff from him after the Ramones, you know. Yeah, it's a bummer. You know, I remember that being a big deal in Mm -hmm. 2001. As a matter of fact, we lost a lot of, you know, really important people in rock and roll that year and we're gonna hit them as we go on you right. know but we just definitely got to stop and you know pay a little tribute to joey ramon because let's face it man the world is just not the same without it's the guy not. it was a better place with him on it so uh you've got the next song right? yeah i got the next song and uh you know the 90s were a very strange time for a band like the la guns you know they had success with hollywood vampires in 91 and they decided to try to ride out the grunge movement and not release anything new till 95 that's when they come out with Vicious Circle, which fails to even chart. It leads to Phil Lewis leaving the band and Tracy Guns taking the band in a more metal direction with a new lead vocalist named Chris Van Dahl and the 96 album American Hardcore. Now, by 97, Van Dahl is out and future Steel Panther vocal- vocalist Ralph Sains is in. By 99, Ralph is out and Jizzy Pearl is in for the Shrinking Violet album. <laughs> It's an amazing album. It got no push, you know, because not a lot long after it was released, the classic Kelly Guns lineup would reunite and release a live album and begin work on 2001's Man in the Moon. It's almost a full reunion. Tracy Guns and Steve Riley have been there all along, and Phil Lewis and Mick Cripps are back, but no Kelly Nichols on bass. Uh, producer of the album, Gilby Clark, produces his own bassist to come play, a guy named Muddy Stardust laid out on the low end on this one. It's a great album, but, you know, it's it's still a funny time. It's There's an event that's going to happen later on in the year in 2001, but a little bit longer before bands like this could shed that stigma of being in... 80s hair band yeah and they always had that stigma i got yeah. of course the name just kind of screams it doesn't it? i mean well, la guns kind of sounds like that they were forefathers sort of yeah. you know of that that second wave out of la so you yeah. know 
of course they're going to be hooked to it. And like I said, later on in the year, it's going to become cool to like these kind of bands again. But we'll get to that. Yeah. So we're we're still in April. On April 24th, a band called Treble Charger releases an album called Wide Awake Board. Now, who's Treble Charger, you may ask? I'm sure you are. I don't have any idea. <laughs> this is a band where I didn't know anything about this song back in 2001. I just found it during research. But I was hmm. like, well, every, I missed this, so maybe other people did. They're a uh, Canadian rock band formed in 1992 in Sault Ste. Marie, consisting of lead vocalist and guitarist Greg Nori and co-lead vocalist and guitarist Bill Priddle. The band uh, initially consisted of four members. They disbanded in 2006 and then reunited in 2012. Uh, they kind of began with like a melodic indie style, but they evolved into more of a pop-punk band after they got their major label signing in uh, 97. And, you know, one thing around about the late 90s and early 2000s was there was a kind of a a resurgence of like pop punk yeah. that was going on at the time. And you know, if you're like a if you're a punk purist, you you don't like this. No, I mean, you're talking about like you know Green Days right. and you know Offsprings right. and you know there's a lot of that going on. But me personally, I was I'm not a punk purist and I like hooks, so yeah. I think it's great. I, I love that type of sound. Um, so they put out their fourth studio album, Wide Awake Board, on April 24th, and. Uh, this is a track called American Psycho. What's the problem with the human race? No matter where I turn, I can't escape the double face. Don't want to listen to the radio. Or stick around just to hear I told you so. How could we make it without you? I should have Now, one important note that I found in my research that has to be mentioned, uh, this album was partially recorded at Grandmaster Studios in L.A., and mm. this is important because Vinnie Vincent recorded in this studio for the uh, Guitar Mageddon or Guitars from Hell album that never got released. Was that around this same time? Uh, no, that was no. in the early 90s. Oh, okay. That was with uh, when Andre LaBelle was playing drums for him. Oh, all right. But so yeah, that would so, have been before they re- this band yes, had recorded. So even in 2001, I can squeeze a Vinnie Vincent reference. <laughs> <laughs> it, we, we won't be playing any music, but yeah, you got to have that some was, kind of reference, I guess. That was the clincher to that song choice. I'm like, Vinnie Vincent Connection, boom, picking oh, that one. Oh, <laughs> wow. No, actually, I like that song. You've got an issue, man. <laughs> yeah, I know. You have problems. Yeah, I know. So we're rolling through May. We're uh, doing pretty good cooking through the year yeah. 2001 right now. And in May, one of my favorite books, one of the best reads I've ever sat down and enjoyed came out. And that's Motley Crue, The Dirt. And I read that book. And when I got done, I thought, how the hell are these guys still alive? Yeah. That was awesome. I wonder if it's a great work of fiction. I don't know, man. I no. like the way it was set up. It was a very unique setup with the uh, the author basically interviewing all of them mm-hmm. and then piecing it together yeah. chronologically so everybody had their say. So, right. you know, some of it was fiction. But you could tell because yeah. some of the stories didn't match up. Exactly. Like, you know, Vince Neil would say, oh, he punched me first. And then Tommy Lee would say, no, no, he punched me first. Right. You know, but the story was all there. So you kind of got the gist of it yeah. from all sides. Yeah, I'm, referring, I loved I'm it. referring more to the story of like knives and forks flying up into the ceiling and stuff during the... The writing of Shout at the Devil and all that. You remember that? 
Cocaine's a crazy yeah, drug, yeah, man. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everyone around them was doing stuff too. So yeah, yeah. who knows what the hell? It's yeah, apparently they, being made into a movie. Mass now. hallucination. Yeah, they've been talking about yeah. that for years, man. I'd love to see it. It'd like, be great. The guy who is live the, action, the director of the Jackass movies, apparently is in charge of getting the movie made now. Right, because haven't they been talking about years and years ago? They've been saying Johnny Knoxville would be the one to play Nikki Six. That was a rumor. Yeah. And then Ashton Kutcher was going to play Tommy Lee. I think yeah. that was another rumor. That would have been good but yeah. now them guys are all getting too, they're old, too old now you know they're gonna yeah. have to play the the doped out versions yeah. <laughs> i'll watch it either way but i don't know you can never top the book you know now nah, the book's awesome you know talk about a, a rock and roll debauchery you want to you want to read a book that just shows you just how crazy <laughs> things were back in those times for a rock and roll band like motley Crue. it'll blow your freaking mind if you've never read that book yeah i had a whole new respect for doc mcgee that guy put up with a lot of yeah. shit yeah yeah he did oh, man Whew. That book's available on Amazon. If you want to pick that up, go through the Decibel Geek link. I guarantee you, you'll love it. You'll say, if you've never read that book, you'll thank me for telling you to read it. We both recommend it. Awesome book. Uh, back into the music now. Uh, coming out with their ninth studio album in 2001, it's Megadeth. And they come back with The World Needs a Hero. The cover features a little mini Vic Rattlehead busting out of Dave Mustaine's chest all alien style. Mm-hmm. Or is it a regular-sized Vic Rattlehead busting out of a giant Dave Mustaine? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Take your pick on that one. Malaysia banned the album because of the cover. Said it was too violent. Their their youth could not see something so crazy. Um, and so this this brings us up to 2001 for Megadeth. So after the backlash over the radio friendliness of 1999's Risk, yeah. um, the world needs a hero. Marks a return to a heavier sound, the sound that made Megadeth popular to begin with. Definitely a callback to heavier times for Megadeth. Yeah, that reminds me of that great Rust in Peace album. Yeah, you know, the Return to Hanger, that one. Uh, it's a solid album all the way through, you know, and the mission was to prove to the world that Megadeth was a metal band. Mission accomplished on that one. Uh, featuring Jimmy DeGrasso from Ozzy, Y&T, White Lion, Suicidal, Alice Cooper, you know. Black Star Riders now. Black Star Riders now. Um, El Petrelli from Sabotage, Widowmaker, Alice Cooper. And, of course, Dave Ellefson. This will be his last appearance on a Megadeth album until 2011. And Megadeth would go on a, on hiatus for a few years after this release. Yeah, and they're, they still are in musical chairs of members, right, as we speak. Yeah. Yeah. But they're, they're still back. They've never really returned. Dave's never taken it back to that radio-friendly sound no, from, from that period of time. You know, he's it's like made it clear he's not going to. He made his money, and he got out and you know, got back to making good metal music, which continues to this day. No, I read, I read in, the, in the, his autobiography that he regrets doing the Risk album. You know, yeah. it, it just it wasn't 
wasn't you know it was one of those things that seems like a good idea at the time but i guess record company people were trying to push for the hit right because you know at that time they they were you know megadeth was pumping out some good songs that they were playing on radio quite a bit yeah you know and at the time that's where the money was at yep definitely so we'll see we when that was make your money and get back to the metal yeah and now i i played trouble charge earlier now i'm gonna play another band that most of you have never heard of i've heard of them Although I know Kiss fans have probably heard of this band. That's why I've heard yeah. of them. It's a band called Econoline Crush. Seen them live back in like 90-something, late 90s. Well, they opened a lot of dates for Kiss on the 96 reunion tour. That's the year. So um, that's And that's, that's where I first heard of them, too. But uh, a little bit of information about them. Um, this was the, their third full-length album. They're a band from Vancouver, Canada. They put out a band called Brand New... Uh, put out an album called Brand New History on May 15th. The album's produced by a guy named Bob Rock. Mm, I've heard of him. Who knows a little bit about Vancouver also. Right. Because uh, Little Mountain Rec- Studio was up there in Vancouver. He just looked out his door one day and saw there was a band recording across the street and said, come on over, Come over, yeah. So this is Econoline Crush with a song called Trash. tour was going on and as anyone who's a kiss fan knows opening bands typically don't fare well opening for especially a reunited kiss no this band though it was an exception because i remember reading a lot of reviews that people really actually enjoyed this band opening for them so kiss bands are polite <laughs> no they're not <laughs> i've seen them boo so many opening bands off the stage oh man no when i seen them up in minnesota <laughs> i think it was uh in minneapolis you kind of line crush open too and i think they they, they got over play out yeah I saw uh, when they came here on their reunion tour, I think it was the band. You remember the band Caroline Spine? Yeah. Maybe that's one. Am I getting those two mixed up? I don't know. I, I, saw, don't know. Like, I saw Caroline Spine here in 97. Yeah. And they got booed. <laughs> it was yeah. Even, it, wasn't, it was not pretty. Hmm. Uh, but I think I remember seeing them with the Nixon or the no, the Melvins one time. Oh, and then. And the Melvins didn't really, didn't yeah. really do it either. On the, the uh, Psycho Circus tour, I saw Power Man 5000 open for them. Yeah. That was not pretty. No. I liked them. I'm yeah, like, I like I'm like Power one of a handful 5, of people in the whole arena that actually dug them. Everyone else hated them. Wow. Yeah. That's I wonder sometimes you made you always made me wonder if Kiss perfectly perfect you know, purposely picked a band yeah. that wouldn't fit in good and would know. just the Kiss fans would tear them apart. And, I don't know. You know. There you go, kids. Well, that's what it's yeah. like opening for Kiss. Right, exactly. It was like Van Halen had cool in the gang on their last tour. That's still That had to have been a David Lee Roth decision. Had to have been. <laughs> oh, you know that. That was part of the condition of his return. Cool yeah. the gang opens the tour. <laughs> it would not surprise me at all. So I'll have somebody cool to go hang out and smoke with. Exactly. <laughs> so um so we're still in May, and actually the same day that the O'Connelline Crush album came out on the fifteenth, on May fifteenth, Weezer released the uh, the Green album. And um you know, we Weezer is a band that grew on me over the years when they were huge in the, you know, early to mid nineties. 
I, I, I just wasn't feeling it with no. the, the Buddy Holly and, and the right. sweater song and all but that. Was, I was confused by Weezer because they had they mentioned Ace Frehley and Peter Chris and their songs and they in had the garage, yeah. Kiss posters and the videos of their songs, you know. And it's like, but you guys aren't anything like Kiss. You got an Ace Frehley guitar strap, and that's about the end of the connection I right. see here. So I'm confused. I want to like you, but I just can't, you know, because you're so far from what I like. Yeah. But when you break it down to the music, again, take away the image and everything. Yeah. Thing and just break it down to the music. Some awesome guitar hooks and, yeah. and you know catchy stuff going on in Weezer songs. Well, and if you don't know the history of Weezer, before they became Weezer, like Rivers Cuomo and those guys were, they, they were a hair, they were a hair rockers. band. Yeah, they, they were, were Sunset Strip rock band. Yeah, I can't pictures. remember their name. I can't remember what the name of the band was, but. They fit right in with all those hair bands. Yeah, man. There's and he, pictures of those guys with the long hair yeah. and all that. It's pretty cool. And he's a shredding guitar player. Like yeah, he, he, he was all in the Ingve Malmsteen and stuff like that. Yeah. So, but they were smart. I mean, they saw where the trends were going, and they were like, right. "Well, let's completely redefine ourselves and redefine how we sound." And, and it re- worked. Ended up redefining a whole genre. Oh, they influenced of music. a ton of bands. Yeah. Whether you like them or not. Right. But um, the Green Album was their third studio album, produced by Rick Ocasek from the Cars. Um, you know, another wise choice there with that type of sound, you know. Yeah. This was considered the band's comeback album from 1996's Pinkerton. Now, you know, Pinkerton bombed and uh, after the Blue album, but honestly, I like Pinkerton. I do, too. There's uh, some my, good heavy stuff on there. My college roommate had it, and I'm like, this is way better than that last album, but it, yeah. didn't, it did jack shit on the charts. Um, th- this one did pretty well. It sold 1.6 million copies uh, during the period that between Pinkerton and this album. This is a five-year break. Um, Rivers uh, went to Harvard University and got his degree, went into a deep depression, like would not leave his house for a long time. Wow. So there's like a whole drama behind how this album ended up coming about. The big singles off this album were Hashpipe and Islands in the Sun. Both those, those songs like those did songs. really good. I really like Hashpipe. Hashpipe's I love a great heavy riff. song, but I figure everyone's heard plenty of that song. Right. So uh, I wanted to pick something which has a really great hook. This is Weezer with Don't Let Go. What I think I like about that song and some of that sentiment that Weezer does in their songs is anyone that knows me knows I'm a huge fan of the Ramones end of the century era right. where they kind of brought that uh, Wallace Sound 60 sound with Phil Spector on board and they got a little bit more hooky. That stuff kind of reminds me of that era of the Ramones. I just I love that that simple hook type song that they do. It's kind of bouncy, you know. Yeah, I, I love that sound, but yeah, that's uh, that's a Weezer. That was their big comeback. Heck yeah, man. Nothing wrong with Weezer. I'll take that. Oh, uh, let's see. Keep things going Ooh, here. Heavier side of Weezer episode. We could totally do a heavier side of Weezer episode. We could turn a lot of people on to Weezer. That- Send your hate mail to feedback at decibelgeek.com. <laughs> <laughs> or encourage us. Yeah, one or, or the, encourage one or the us, other. Yeah. 
Uh, another great album that came out in 2001 was the one and only full-length album released by the one-of-a-kind Betty Blowtorch, an uh, album called Are You Man Enough? It was a follow-up to their 1999 debut EP, Get Off, and uh, it features Bianca Butthole on lead vocals and bass, Blair and Bitch on lead guitar, Sharon Needles on rhythm guitar and vocals, and Judy Mollish on drums. This is straightforward, bad attitude, kick-ass rock and roll, and it's got some great tunes on this album. Songs like Size Queen, I'm Ugly, Hell on Wheels, Part-Time Hooker, and the great advice of a song called Shut Up and Fuck. Awesome, man. I love that stuff so much. I just watched the documentary on them the other night with my wife. Yeah, I was going to say, if anybody out there wants to know anything about this band, you know, check it out. Betty Blowtorch and her true, or or, excuse me, Betty Blowtorch and her amazing true life adventures. A documentary directed by Antonio Scarpa. And it's, you know, they got such a short history that it's the whole thing is pretty much covered in that. It's a it's a great documentary. And yeah, I was I just turned it on to watch before going to bed and. My wife's sitting there reading, and she and they they think they're playing Hell on Wheels in the intro. Yeah, it's them on stage filming the Love video. That song. And she she looked up. She's like, "Who is that?" And I was like, "Betty Blowtorch." She's like, "They're really good." Yeah, so, yeah really like, good. And my wife is not a hard rock fan, so for that's her to say the, that is a big deal. That's one of the most heartbreaking things ever is the fact that that band was never able to continue on and create more music because it was so good. You know, yeah. just for it as being you know simple, straight up rock and roll. Yeah, like I said, so much attitude in it. You know, just amazing stuff. I remember because I was on radio in 2001 and we got the single for uh, um, Hell on Wheels. Wheels, I played the shit out of it. You know, I wasn't necessarily supposed to be playing the shit out of it, but it just it struck me in such a way that in 2001, I felt like this is the kind of music we need to be putting out there to get us out of this weird, you know, kind of funk that I feel like we've been in here lately. It was a strange time for music. I mean, we're we're playing nuggets that we found. Right. But it was, I think this may have been the hardest struggle to find great stuff to play for a year in review but maybe it's an interesting year so we wanted to still cover it though right don't worry we're going to go back to the 70s and 80s soon but, oh sure of but course. you know we got to cover the 2000s too you know yeah uh sharon needles is a member of angus young's favorite acdc tribute band hell's bells mm-hmm. bells b-e-l-l-e-s yeah it's awesome uh blair and bitch is the lead guitarist for black savage yep that's cool my uh, my favorite internet buddy, Judy Mollish, a.k.a. Judy Kakuza, is the drummer of the awesome all-female Kiss tribute band, Pris, who oh. got a lot of praise for their performance on Kiss Cruise 4. Huh. I wonder Very if those cool. girls ever get back together and you know do any of the old tunes. I don't know. It would be mean, hard to do it without, yeah, uh, with, without Bianca. Yeah, there, without Bianca Halstead, it'd be pretty much impossible to do Betty yeah, Blowtorch. She kind of was she the was, band, yeah. Yeah, had so much of that energy. I mean, man, it's sad. But, you know, I'm glad the rest of them are out doing stuff. Shout out to Judy. 
She's awesome. Awesome. So, uh, okay, you well, you we're still in June. You got the next pick. All right, June, talking about what's popular. Uh, after making a huge name for themselves as an earlier act on the 2001 OzFest tour, Drowning Pool releases their massive debut album, uh, Sinner in 2001 it's influenced by thrash metal giants like metallica anthrax and testament and it reflects in the music great heavy tunes on this one like the title track uh the song follow a tune called i am a great song called tear away and uh let me know if you've ever heard this one before has heard this song somewhere yeah there's like a video of a parrot singing it singing it on the internet <laughs> really yeah you haven't seen that yet no. i'll show it to you when we take a break you know it was yeah. a massive hit that year and it continues to be used as theme songs and commercials for all kinds of stuff to this day yeah you know the overpopularity of that song kind of overshadows otherwise what's really a good metal album you know it kind of it, the song was so popular, it almost takes away from the rest of it. Didn't you know the I mean? song have controversy with something that happened later in the year? Well, yeah, it did. You know, And also the song was allegedly used by interrogators at Guantanamo Bay as a form of torture. Well, some people that don't like Drowning Pool would probably agree with that. Well, they use a lot of I always like that song. I know, it, metal. I know it got overplayed a lot on yeah. the radio, but it, it's a great riff. It really is. Yeah, it's a great band. You know, yeah. in 2001, lead vocalist Dave Williams will be found dead on the tour oh, bus. yeah, I forgot about a that. A victim of heart failure. You yeah, know? That, that, was was, a, that was crazy. I can't remember. It was either right before or right after they were supposed to play in Wisconsin when I was working on radio at the time. I think it was... I don't think they made it there. They were yeah, supposed to, or they just that. had just recently played. I don't remember. Drowning Pool would continue with a variety of singers over the years, but would never reclaim the popularity that they had in 2001. Are they still here? Still around? They're still around. Got they're on like their fifth or sixth or seventh lead yeah, singer. I, I remember guess. Remember when that dude died? I was like, they were yeah. like on their way up. They were going to be yeah. a huge band. I yeah. remember that. Wow. Yeah, yeah because if that, that guy would have stayed alive, Drowning Pool would obviously kept going on yeah. the trajectory that they were on because they were huge, but. Once Dave Williams was gone again, you was know, it drugs? just like now he had a heart condition. Oh wow! It was heart failure. That's messed up. And uh, young. I know he was uh, diabetic, uh-huh. and uh, because he and Brett Michaels kind of 
you know, became friends. Knew each other. Yeah, Brett Michaels mentions him in a song on the uh, Poison Holly Weird album. Oh, really? Yeah. So those guys had gotten damn, tight at that time. Too damn young to go. Jeez. Yeah, and especially like I said, you know, and it, uh, you feel bad for the rest of the band too because they've well, yeah. never, you know, you're never going to replace that guy. No. Like Betty Blowtorch, you know, once once a key member yeah. of the band is just gone like that, it's it's hard to continue on. A lot of death in 2001. Yeah, it really is. A be whole our, lot. It's our darkest episode. We it really is. Man. It really is. So, um, well, you always were to talk about some of the heavier bands of 20, 2001. Yeah, talking about Drowning Pool, you know, I'd say the heaviest of 2001 bands that came out with music that year, Slayer came out with one, uh, Tool, Slipknot, Mushroom Head, Creator had a rawr, heavy album, yeah. uh, System of Down, Static X, and Fear Factory. Yep. Some of the best of the really heavy stuff, because we ain't got time to play everything. Yeah, well, Fear Factory, you heard in the intro. Yeah, we heard some Fear yeah. Factory, and I know some of you guys are just heavy 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 metalheads that listen to this show sometimes so yeah gotta at least give a shout out to those of be- course before i talk about the next album <laughs> that i chose which is by one of my favorite bands called warrant 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 <laughs> <laughs> too funny cherry boy yeah. Well, this is the uh, sixth studio album. It's the final Warrant album to feature Janie Lane on lead vocals. At this point, Eric Turner and Jerry Dixon have stuck it out, but Stephen Sweet and Joey Allen are long gone. Um, instead, you get Billy Morris on lead guitar and Mike Fasano on drums. Not Zach. Yeah, not not the classic lineup, but pretty damn good lineup nonetheless. Um, it's an album of mostly cover ba- uh, covers of bands that have influenced the musical style of the band. Over the years, bands like Cheap Trick, Aerosmith, Thin Lizzy, Michael Monroe, you get some Bad Finger on there. Also includes music that is the final two original songs released by the Janie Lane era of Warrant. Um, Warrant would go on to tour in support of this album as part of the Glam Slam Metal Jam, headlined by Poison, along with Enough's Enough, Great White, Quiet Riot, and the Bullet Boys. Pretty damn good lineup for yeah, a concert tour. I remember that tour. I'd, I'd pay to see that today, Yeah, for sure. Um... The weird thing about it is the tour, after a show in Omaha, Nebraska, Bobby Dahl is rushed to an emer- into emergency back surgery after suffering a spinal cord injury on stage. Uh, the surgery is a success, but he needs six months to heal. The rest of the Glam Slam Metal Jam tour is done. Canceled. Wow, crazy. Yeah. Um, the songs, the, the last two Janie Lane Warrant era songs. It's kind of a sad thing, yeah. but uh, it's definitely worth checking out for those songs along with a tune called Face, and this one's called Subhuman. Email is fast, it's easy. America Online. Call 1-800-4-ONLINE. You know how 
fast you were going? 65. 63. In this town. Isn't the speed limit 65? You don't mess with the law. Yeah, it is. Freaking help me. Don't spit in that cop's burger. It'll look spit to you. Yeah. Burger punk! The law no. messes with you. Super Troopers. They're coming back, man! Pull the vehicle over! I'm already pulled over! He's already pulled over! He can't pull over any farther! <laughs> All right, you're listening to the Decibel Geek Podcast, and we are in the home stretch as we do a look back at the year 2001 through the eyes of rock and roll. You know how we do it around here. Uh, having fun so far, been uh, talking about some damn good music here today. Yeah. You know, we talked about sports, and now it's time to talk about the top movies of 2001. In the top 10 of 2001, you've got at number 10, Planet of the Apes. Number 9, Jurassic Park 3. Number 8, Ocean's Eleven. Number 7, Pearl Harbor. Number 6, The Mummy Returns. At number 5, you got Rush Hour 2. Number 4, it's Monsters, Inc. Number 3, Shrek. Who could forget that? Oh, yeah. Uh, and number 2, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. And number 1, man, it was the year of this guy, too. Holy shit. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. That stuff's everywhere. It's still like, to now, it's still everywhere. A lot of a lot of family-type movies were big in 2001. Yeah, it? Shrek, yeah. Monsters, Inc., all of that. You know, personally, my favorite, those movies were okay, but yeah. some of my favorites that came out in 2001 were like Hannibal, uh, American Pie 2, mm-hmm. The Fast and the Furious, the debut of that. That yeah. was pretty good. Uh, Laura Croft, Tomb Raider. <laughs> Man, she looked good back then. Um, Shallow Hal, remember that one? I like that movie. I like that one too. Um, this one I really didn't like, but it was huge. Um, that Moulin Rouge. Oh yeah, there, there was, was a, a big craze one. of that going on there's for a, a while. Uh, there's a little bit of a Kiss cover in that one. Yeah, yeah, they sing part of "I Was Made for Loving You" at part of the movie. Oh, nice. Yeah, I guess I never noticed that. My wife never clued me in on that. <laughs> it's only it's a real quick thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, also in 2001, that movie, A Knight's Tale. You ever see that? Is that it the Heath like, Ledger movie? Yeah, and then they had like it would be like fighting swords in medieval times, but they'd be playing some Quiet Riot or yeah, I like that movie a lot. Yeah, Yeah, me and my wife, me and my wife both love that movie. Yeah, um, the animal came out in two thousand one. That was pretty funny. The movie Blow, remember that? Great movie with Pee Wee Herman in it. Yeah, that was very cool. Yeah, that's That's a a really wild movie. Good, good drug movie. Uh, Jeepers Creepers came out in two thousand one. The first one, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. That's a good one. Smith, can you believe this? In two thousand one, there was a movie. Crocodile Dundee in L.A. I don't remember this. I don't either. I looked it up. And Apparently I was like, nobody what? else does either. No way. There really was. In 2001, a Crocodile Dundee movie. Yikes. Um, Corky Romano in 2001. Saving Silverman. I like yeah, that one. Yeah, a good movie. Another one I used to I laugh my ass off watching this. Super Troopers. Yeah, oh, yeah. You can't pull over any further. <laughs> you know what I need you to do right meow? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Jason X in space. <laughs> That was a good one, I though. I, one. I still like that. Mm-hmm. And f- I guess if I was going to name a 2001 movie of the year, oh, it'd be a toss-up. I'd almost want to give it to Joe Dirt. Yeah. But I'm going to have to go with Rockstar. Rockstar. That was pretty cool. Had yeah. all those awesome people starring in it. Zach Wilde, you know. All yeah. It's a good throwback to the old old school hair bands. a good, good rock movie. I like that. Based on Judas Priest. Yeah, loosely. Loosely. <laughs> the idea, and then they changed everything. And then a bunch of other stuff, yeah. I guess, they said they were the influenced by. The only thing they kept from the Judas Priest thing was uh, when they're showing the fake magazine covers, the yeah. magazine covers are called Metal God, 
And that's initially what this, the movie was going to be called. Yeah. Because Rob Halford's called The Metal God. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's so the they, only thing they kept. I suppose they probably wanted to do it just on that story because that's such a unique story. Yeah. And we'll be getting into that in, two, in later on, yeah. I guess, next week. We'll oh, be, yeah. We'll talk a little Judas Priest. But, yeah, the good movies of 2001, and that is what it is. All right. So uh, we're into June, and uh, June is the last month we cover in part one, if you're new to the show. Um, Stone Temple Pilots released Shangri-La-Di-Da on June 19th. This is their fifth studio album produced by Brendan O'Brien. This was originally planned to be a double album dedicated to the memory of Andrew Wood. Mm. But um, the concept was vetoed by Atlantic Records, assholes really? record company. Yeah. Of course, um, Andrew Wood from Mother Love Bone. Yes. And uh, while recording the album, the band also worked on a documentary and a coffee table book, and neither of those got released. Wow. Um, limited footage of it was made available through the band's official website um, in the form of live performance-based music videos. Um, the album, although being certified gold, uh, it was a commercial disappointment for the band because the albums, the first four albums were much bigger than this one. Right. They kind of fell off a cliff commercially with this album. And uh, I'll tell you this. Uh, I love Brendan O'Brien's production. In my opinion, the songs aren't there on this record. No. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and save you a few bucks and play you the best song on the album. <laughs> this is STP with a cool song called Dumb Love. the uh in my opinion the best track on the album yeah that is a pretty weak album i'd say there's only really two good songs on there that one and hollywood bitch is all right yeah that one's okay it's just overall it's just kind of a forgettable record you know kind of sucks but that song there um i could have heard that one on core i mean that sounds yeah. like their old oh stuff. yeah it totally sounds like yeah. it would fit right in yeah. on core and the DeLeo brothers when they put it put together a good riff it's really good nice See Agreed. So, um, all so right. I guess you got one more, but before we get out of here, we want to thank everybody for hanging out with us today. You know, we like to do these year in reviews. It's a it's a lot of homework. The running joke is you guys actually were supposed to get this like a month ago. You are. It seems like. <laughs> yeah, but you got a really good Alms Unleashed instead. Come right. On. And, you know, some <laughs> surprise phone calls out of nowhere that yeah. one day. So it, it all works out in the end. We promised it was coming, so it's here. But uh, we want to remind you, of course, we got to tell you, go to iTunes, leave us a review. We're going to be doing something special with our iTunes reviews, mm -hmm. the, the good ones that we get, because we get some really good ones, yeah. and we think they deserve to be spotlighted. So in the future, we're going to be very soon spotlighting some iTunes reviews. So if you want an extra little spotlight for yourself, Hurry up and get over there and leave us one before we start picking and choosing which ones we want to read on the air. Yeah. Um, also, you know, while you're at iTunes, subscribe to us. Makes it easy for you. You don't have to ever worry about missing an episode because every time one comes up, if you're subscribed, bam, you got it. It's a beautiful thing. And then iTunes says, look at all the subscription these guys got. Rock and roll truly must be alive and well. We're going to have to start knocking, you know, Jay-Z and Beyonce off our main page and start putting up bands like Sabbath and Kiss. 
Hopefully. It's the revolution that just, it's got to start somewhere. Or Jay-Z and Kiss Makeup. Why not with us? <laughs> well, if it comes to that, then let's just quit now. Rap rock? <laughs> Maybe. Rap Maybe. Rock. Hmm. Rap rock. That'd be interesting. Hmm. Um, so anyway, I guess uh, that's the good news. All the, the stuff you need to know. The website, of course, you know at decibelgeek.com. Check out the articles. Got some cool things coming up very, very, very soon. Yes. Your close. minds are going to be blown when it comes to the website. Um, in the meantime, keep checking it out. we got amazing writers there putting out all kinds of cool stuff all the time. That's where you get your T-shirts. Everything you need is there or at the Facebook page or at iTunes yep. or the other various places that we are. We're everywhere. We're everywhere. All right, I get the last pick of the day. We're at June 20th. Uh, the seventh studio album from The Cult comes out. I was so excited. Being a radio DJ, I was so excited when I knew this one was coming. Yeah. Going to be dropped off the station any day now. Any day. Come on, drop it off. It's a, an album called Beyond Good and Evil, and it was their first album in six years. It uh, marked the return of Matt Sorum as the Cult's drummer. Mm-hmm. He had toured with the band on the Sonic Temple Tour in 89 and 90, but this is the first time he actually recorded in the studio with them. Um, produced by Bob Rock. Busy guy. Yeah, busy in 2001. And, uh, busy you know, doing some good stuff. I know our friend Ian from the Rock and Metal Combat podcast, he hates Bob Rock's production. I'm the opposite. I love the way he produces albums. He I make, do too. He makes guitars and drums sound fucking massive, and that's what yes. I like. So um, the title of this record is a reference to Frederick Nietzsche's 1886 book of the same title, Beyond Good and Evil, and it briefly had the mock-working title of Bring Me the Head of Dave Grohl. Wow. So I guess Ian Asbury's not a big... Foo Fighters fan, apparently. Guess not. So uh, that's it for this week. This is The Cult with Breathe, and we'll see you next week for part two.